Ooh, man, was that good? Was that good? You know, um, we routinely will consult with our, our team leaders, the music team leaders, um, about our message and uh, tell them what we're speaking on and they'll give it some thought. And I got to tell you, Alessandra, these songs this morning couldn't have been more appropriate for the subject matter um, of today's message. Don't mind me, I'm just getting, getting this right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, a number of years ago, I received an email from a lady, um, a friend, and she, in the email she said, uh, Jeff, you've changed. And I could tell very quickly that it wasn't in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, she said, you've changed. She was referencing a message that I had done recently at the time that she wrote the message. She was, and in the message that I, that I gave on a Sunday morning, I told a couple stories of events that had really rocked me. Um, I told the story of a, of a night I was in a small group, a number of young couples. We, were, uh, we always got together regularly, talked about life, talked about our spiritual journeys together. One night, the, the subject of <laughs> heaven and hell came up. Didn't come up very often, but someone brought it up. And then someone started sharing kind of how they saw it all going down. And I remember as the stories were told, um, a close friend of mine uh, he, he, he just stopped everything. He just said, hey, wait a second. It was almost like it was all kind of coalescing, these beliefs. And he was like, wait a second. Are, are you saying that unless you're a Christian and believe these particular things, you're going to hell? Is that, is that, is that what everyone believes here? And he's looking in the room, and I can tell he's a little bit frantic. He looks straight at me, and he says, Jeff, you know my parents. He was Hindu. He said, you know my parents. He said, they're the most loving, spiritual people I have ever known. He said, according to what you guys are telling me, they're going to hell. Is that what you believe, Jeff? My parents are going to hell. And I, I came out that night and said, I don't know. And some of the people in that group went, what? what? Jeff? What are you saying? You don't believe what we've been, you've taught us. I'm like, something doesn't add up about that picture. So I told that story in this message. I also told the story of, of one night I'm at my son's football practice and I'm hanging out with a bunch of dads. Their sons are out there playing too and some really close friends. And one of the guy reaches over and he said, hey Jeff, can I chat with you about something? I said, sure. So, and he says, like, can we go over here? I said, Sure. You're right. He's like, so we left the group and we walked over. And I remember uh, 
in Edgemont. It was like a hockey rink, outdoor hockey rink. The boards are still up. We went walking over there, and I'm sitting, leaning on the boards. And I look at him and say, hey, everything okay? He's like, I don't know how to tell you this. But Jeff, I'm gay. He's married. He has two teenage kids, a girl and a boy. His son's out there playing with my son's good friends. I'm just looking, I'm going, my mind is like thrown into turmoil. The truth is, I didn't know many gay people at that time. And I had been raised in this belief that homosexuality and all that was just this sinful choice that people who don't give a rip about their spiritual journeys, they do that kind of... It's it's crazy how... And I didn't even really think much about it, but man, I, I was just confronted with all this and I'm looking at him going, wait, you... Wait, I know you. I, I love you, man. Like, so anyways, that started something crazy in me. And I remember that Sunday morning in that service saying that experience exploded my belief in that area. And I just went, I, I can't. I can't reconcile what I've been raised to believe with what I know of this guy. So this lady's writing me, saying, Jeff, you've changed. And I'm worried about you. Something tells me some of you have had maybe conversations like this. She said, I'm afraid that your vulnerable place in life has led you into perhaps some false teaching and that you're no longer being led by God. She might be listening to this podcast and I don't know where she stands today, but I love this person but I remember looking at her with sadness going, I wish you could experience what I've experienced and you could feel the conflict I'm in. Perhaps you're here this morning and you felt this kind of conflict where you're going, something I've always thought to be right isn't jiving with what I'm watching or what I'm learning. Now what? I don't know about you, but it's made me wonder, are the most legitimate spiritual journeys the ones that remain unchanged throughout their lives? Like, are those the legitimate ones? that never change, they lock down and they're able to just believe no matter what they see, hear, learn? Are the truly spiritual ones, the enlightened ones of our world, are they the ones who remain faithful to certain beliefs no matter 
what comes along that challenges them or contradicts them. In my profession, I've watched many people who have encountered similar things to what I'm talking about this morning who made the decision to abandon their spiritual journey when things ran sideways, when they couldn't reconcile spiritual belief, religious belief, whatever you want to call it, with life. They just went, if, if it's either this or it's this, I, I got to go this way. I got to jump. I got to let go. Maybe someone in this room knows exactly what that feels like. You said, I guess then it's atheism. Or I guess then it's goodbye, church, God, whatever. Let me ask you something. Could it be that spiritual beliefs actually needed to be updated from time to time? Much like the software on your laptop or apps on your phone, every now and then you get, you know how all of a sudden the light comes on and you're going, hey, what's that notification? It says, Apple, Apple uh, software 114.5, you know, update is waiting for you. Would you like it? Could it be that life along the way demands of the spiritual journey that we make updates and we go, oh, wait a second, something isn't driving here. What? Okay. This morning I want to talk about the beauty and the vitality of an evolving spirituality. Of an evolving spirituality. One in which our beliefs are allowed to morph and evolve with our learning and our experiences and our observations of the world around us. Now I know some traditionalists will hear me talking about this and they just get upset. I've had someone say, God, or they, they quote passage from Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, forever. Yesterday, today, forever. Our beliefs shouldn't be changing. You're just, you're just following the whims and fads and trends, Jeff. Hmm, Really? well, why don't we just go back and look and see if, as a part of our spiritual tradition, there has been any evolving, shall we? There's a crazy story in the book of Acts, a crazy story. Or there are many of them, but this one in the book of Acts starts with a guy named Cornelius. Allow me to just show you an unbelievable update that happened that has changed the Christian tradition guy named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, actually a captain of the Italian guard, which really, they tell, give us this information to tell us, this guy ain't a Jew. He's a Gentile. And just for the record, Gentiles were not a part of the accepted club of the spiritual. They were sitting outside the community. Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. Gentiles were eating the wrong food. They weren't following all the laws. This story starts off by saying, yeah, he was one of those guys. But then it gets really weird because it says, but this guy was spiritual. He was given to 
just doing good things. He was loving and a God-fearing man, helping people in need. It even says he was praying often. Then it gets even weirder. Cornelius is visited by an angel. An angel. Like God sends an angel to visit a Gentile. And you know what this angel says to Cornelius? He says, your spiritual life caught God's attention. He's giving you the thumbs up. He's going, impressive. This story would have been absolutely mind-bending for the Jews of that time. Anyways, in the dream, the angel, or in this, in this visitation, the angel says, Cornelius, proud of you. Buddy, you need to hook up with a guy named Peter. Peter is this heavyweight, one of Jesus' disciples. He's leading the church. He's kind of out there, kind of building a movement. He says, you need to get him. You need to bring him to you. Well, Cornelius, that's easy. He snaps his fingers, sends some guards to Peter's place. Meanwhile, the story breaks from that scene to scene two. Here's Peter in his house. Imagine, same time. And Peter start, has this vision. And this vision is of this like massive blanket. Like imagine a canopy. Like, like these canopies in this room, only upside down. And they're suspended by big, big cables coming from the heavens. And they're being lowered. And on that canopy is filled with all these animals that they are not as Jews allowed to eat. Imagine that. You see some pigs in there. You see some lobster. You know, some shellfish. Maybe some wild birds. This is all off, out of bounds to eat for Jews. And while he's watching this, this voice comes out. and says, Peter? Go ahead, take your pick. Kill and eat, it says. Have at it. Lobster. Bacon. Dig in. Peter is seeing this and he almost is incredulous. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Lord, you know I only eat kosher. Again, this voice says, if God says it's okay, it's okay. He can't believe what he's hearing. He's like, who's tricking me? No way. And again, it's just three times this voice says, Peter, you're good. Scene two. Scene three. It's just like, all of a sudden, he's like, what is going on? The doorbell rings at his place. He opens the door and here's these Roman guards. He's looking at them and they're, they're saying, sir, are you Peter? He says, yeah, come with us. He says, what'd I do? Nothing. But our boss just had an angelic visit. (laughs) And he wants to see you. In fact, the angel said, you need to come and see him. Peter's going, wait, wait. Angel visited you? (laughs) This sounds sketchy. But he just had this vision. He's like going, what the heck is going on? So he said, fine, I'll come with you. Peter shows up at Cornelius' place. Now imagine a captain of the Italian guard, as official as it gets, high ranking. Jews were kind of held captive by the Romans. He walks up to, and the door opens, and there's Cornelius 
and Peter's not sure what's going to happen. And this centurion bows down and starts worshiping Peter. (laughs) And Peter's going, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. Get up. Get up. We don't do that. You're not worshiping me. And then Peter says something amazing. Let me go there. The minute Peter came to the door, the Bible says Cornelius was up on his feet, greeting him and then down on his face, worshiping him. Peter pulled him up and said, none of that. I'm a man. I'm only a man. I am no different than you. Ooh, that is very volatile words, words in those, in that world. He says, we're the same. You and me, we're just humans. But he goes on. He starts hanging out with Cornelius. The guards are around. Peter says, you know, this is really irregular, what we're doing here. (laughs) We don't normally mix, you Gentiles and us Jews. We don't just relax with people of another race. But he says, I believe God is showing me that no race is better than the other. Huh. Now, we don't think anything about that. We say, of course, in that world, your Jewish identity was based on your ability to remain separate from the world. Peter says, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer that God plays no favorites makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready, doors open. That sent shockwaves. And you can read through the book of Acts, other followers who heard the story, they're going, wait, wait, what? Rules are changing. Gentiles are allowed into this thing? You mean like we can be holding gatherings like this and they can just come and sit in beside us? What about what they're eating? What about, what about? It's called evolving spirituality, folks. The rules changed in that day. And from that point on, Christianity exploded, not just with Jewish people, but with Gentiles all over. And Christianity took off. Point of the story is, this woman who says, Jeff, you're changed. I say, we've always been changing. In fact, you can look through scripture. You can see when racism was normal. Polygamy was normal. You you committed adultery. You get stoned to death. There's change that we've made. But there's something about these changes, these softer updates that make us very nervous, aren't there? I don't know about you, but when I get the notification... Microsoft 18 is ready to be downloaded. I'm like, eh, I've done this before and everything went sideways. I'm not going to hit that button. I don't know what will change. My email will go away, whatever. You take that times 1,000 and spiritual change in the world has just like there's an allergic reaction, it seems, to it. If you look back, probably one of the most notorious stories was that of Copernicus and Galileo. 
For all you history buffs, this is, in fact, probably most everyone has heard of Galileo. They had this theory that came out, it was pretty radical at their time, that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. It's a heliocentrism theory. They went, wait a second. It seems like the earth is the one revolving around the sun, not the other way around. Heresy, they said, the church said. Why? Because there is a verse that talks about the sun standing still. Can't work that way. Galileo couldn't deny what he was watching. He kept talking about it. Finally, they came in and put him on heavy charges. And he swore not to talk about it anymore. And yet still, he was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Fast forward, it took 300 years for the church to come out and say, eh, I think we got that wrong. Thanks, Galileo said. Crazy, isn't it? Here we are in 2023 and we're middle, in the middle of a number of these Copernicus Galileo shifts. Or we've been in one in many of them for a while. One that we've talked about here and will continue to because it is still in the religious world a big deal and that is the LGBTQ community. This thing is a hot-button topic. But if you look back, there has been many scientific discoveries that has eroded this argument. And we often will attack this thing from the scriptural side, from the interpretation side, which is kind of the hammer that religious circles have used to try to defend on one side. But if you go back on the other side, just look at that side. I don't know if you knew this story, but I want to share it this morning. It's just important information that might weigh into the update, possibly. Back in, 12, in, in the 1200s, a guy named Thomas Aquinas he rejected homosexuality. He said it is a crime against nature. It is something that should not be allowed because you don't see it anywhere in the natural world. It's a human issue. And it's a choice they're making. If God meant it, you would see it everywhere in nature. Those words, homosexuality is a crime against nature, that phrase caught on. In fact, if you look if you look into the legislation around homosexuality, that line has been used in so many different places since, even to this day. Fast forward, 1972. Just fascinating story. There's a wild discovery. Molly Wagner, George Hunt, married couple. They're 30 miles off the California coast. And they come to an island called Santa Barbara Island, big hunk of rock, bunch of seagulls. Molly is an anthropologist. She's there to study the mating season of the seagull. As she's hunting around and looking at the different nests of these different seagulls, she notices a nest that has like six eggs in it, which is very uncommon for the seagull. That's like 
humans having sex tuplets. It just doesn't happen. She's going, what the heck? Huh. So she says, I wonder, she starts hunting around, and she starts finding that about one in every ten nests has like, ten, like a bunch of eggs in it, way more than the rest. She's going, what is going on here? So she euthanizes one of the uh, one of these uh, animals, seagulls, that are sitting in the nest, one of these nests, euthanizes, looks at it, and it's a, it's a female. She checks it all out. She's like, yeah, everything looks normal there. So then she takes the mate, this female's mate, and euthanizes it, opens it up. It's a female. She's going, oh my gosh. What is going on? So she then does this to a number of these nests that have all the eggs and finds the same thing. Female, females. Somehow, they're working together. I don't know if I'm exempt. I just want to make sure I'm explaining this right. Yeah, when the eggs are hatched, the two females take turns feeding and caring for the birds. All in all, 10% of the nests on Santa Barbara Island had two mums inside. This was something that hadn't been documented scientifically before, the pairing of female and female of any wild animal. When they went to publish these findings, George and Molly, the Ornithological Journal refused. They said, there's no way. This is an aberration. This is an abomination. We need way more data. So they said, okay. They raised a bunch of funding. They sent out researchers. And in a five-year period, they gathered enough data to conclusively show this is going down. So when they published, you can imagine, this news exploded. Now, I was young. I know many of you think I was barely born at that point. <laughs> but this, this was a major, major development in the world. It set off a media frenzy. Newspapers all over the world are calling. London Times, Melbourne Times, India is reaching out going, what the heck? Explain this, please. The scientific community then began to pour tons of money into research. You know what they found? They found queer behavior in wild sheep, goats, buffaloes, chimps, bonobos, orangutans, clownfish, Amazon river dolphins, whales, seals, manatees, Bottlenose dolphins, rattlesnakes, rodents, bats, marsupials, birds, geese, swans, birds of paradise. They even found something known as the New Mexico whipped tail lizard, an entire species that is made up of females that reproduce asexually. The scientific world came out swinging, saying, Is it a crime against nature? Because it seems to be happening. A lot. You'd think that the, all this scientific research, all this proof that homosexual activity actually occurs in nature, that it would soften the hearts and the minds of those that had so vehemently rejected it. A 
Tragically, over time, it became obvious that the religious community was digging in their heels again. Despite the growing science around fluid sexuality, to this day, here we are, what, 50 years later? The heels are dug in in many parts of the religious world going, there ain't no way. Why? Because we have verses in the Bible to prove it. And we're wondering, how many hundreds of years does it take? How much science is needed? How many real life stories? Before we go, oh. Before someone comes out and says, okay, yeah, you know what? I know we thought the Bible was really, but. And that all these people who were villainized, who were s- spent their years isolated, they didn't deserve it. You know, that's the tragic part of the subject matter today is that it's just not, it's not a clean and tidy realm of, well, I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I, that part of science, well, I don't believe that the sun revolves around, the, yeah, okay. That's fine, I believe something else. So many of the spiritual beliefs that are needing updating revolve around real people, living real lives that somehow often don't fit the way we, we think they should. Remember a kid who was taught to believe that the earth, according to his literal biblical account, was only 7,000 years old. He was raised to believe in what they called the new earth theory. Now, look, at, I'm not telling you what to believe, and I'm not even saying that it's wrong. But the kid goes away to college, and he starts learning about evolutionary theory and carbon dating and a whole bunch of other stuff, and all of a sudden starts grappling with the, the very real possibility that the earth is a millions of years old. And his entire spiritual world gets thrown into conflict. He comes home at Christmas time and announces to his parents that he's now an atheist. Doesn't want to go to church with them. Doesn't want anything to do with it. Don't talk about religion, spirituality, whatever. It's a crock. I know I've talked to people in this room today who had a journey like that. This week I was working through my message with one of our message coaches and he looked at me and he said, Jeff, this message was me. He says, I was young and I got caught in a terrible marriage. And it was bad. We were broken people emotionally, relationally. We didn't. But he said, I had been taught that if I divorced, I was going to hell. And he says, you don't know the amount of time I stayed in that relationship going, oh my God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And then the marriage collapsed. And he says, I got the divorce, which he said was the equivalent of a spiritual death sentence. I knew my fate. 
remember a parent who was absolutely dead set, dead set against her child moving in with her boyfriend. She had a belief around cohabitation, premarital sex. She said, I told my daughter, if she moves in with her, or with her boyfriend, her father and I are not going to her wedding if they get married. I remember looking at her and going, uh, we're talking about your daughter here. Like, she's going to be your daughter for the rest of your lives. And you're going to you're going to cut her off relationally because she doesn't. When I look at the, some of the greatest shifts in belief, the changes that they've, been, that they've brought on, some of these major spiritual updates, they haven't so much been about trying to build bigger churches or organizations. They've been about this quandary of how do we love these people who feel different than me, whose behavior seems unexplainable to me. I can't figure it out. And yet, I love them. And I don't want to lose them in my life. And so, what gives? Real people often lie at the core of these spiritual updates. That's why these spiritual updates are so important. And if you look back, like probably throughout your life, you've made shifts. Maybe some of you have done it just logically. Maybe you just went, I've seen the science. It's enough. Gay seagulls, I'm in. Maybe that was it. No fault there, because science is powerful. And if, you, and if you're a, a kid, a person of science, when the science, when the facts line up, you go, I trust the science over some belief. I don't blame you for that. But many here today, you've made shifts. In fact, the freaking reason you're here today at Friends Church of all places is likely because something in your world didn't line up. And likely, it was perhaps a personal experience in your own life. Maybe you ended up getting a divorce. And the fallout said, I guess I'm out. And Friends Church didn't seem to give a rip. And you went, maybe, maybe there's a way around this. Because they don't seem to think it's a big thing. Maybe some part of your life or some observation you've made of your life just broke all the rules and a part of your spiritual journey just got pitched or friends, family, whatever, abandoned or said you're now illegitimate and you said man okay, I gotta change something's gotta give here it's a terrifying process letting go I remember when I came out that morning, I was worried what people were going to say. That woman legitimized my fears. <laughs> she said, you've changed. We can see it. There's a problem. You're taking people to hell. 
I'm like, I don't want to take people to hell. But I can't keep going. Because I, I want this dad in my life. I can't look my friend Amisha in the eye anymore and say, your parents are going to hell. I don't know if there is a hell. Let alone the fact that I don't know who's going there, if there is one. It's terrifying. And it can mean there's consequences. But it's worth it. I'm here to tell you that the spiritual journey has forever. You know, at one time, we didn't even have cell phones in our church, right? <laughs> like, this has changed. This has changed. We've got to brace it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. I'm just glad it wasn't my phone that went off. All right? My oh, please. I, I have fun. I, we are living in a different world. And every day we're encountering things. We go, well, what do we do with that now? Weed gets legalized. And all of, my son, all of a sudden my son is saying, hey, dad, you, you want to smoke a joint with us? And I'm going, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, be a parent in these days. <laughs> it's so much is changing. So much is changing, and I'm telling you, there are updates waiting. And we need to wrestle. We need to wrestle deeply and ask unsettling questions. If you look back over the history of Friends Church, we have been, we've been asking questions along the way that has made people so uncomfortable. They said, we're out. I remember doing a me- message on cohabitation years ago. Some young parents got so upset, they're saying, if that's what you guys believe, if you're, if you're saying there needs to be room for possibly that happen, we're out. I don't want my kids being exposed to that. Out they went. Like, I'm just saying, it might happen. You gotta figure out how to love your kids. I'm gonna wrap this up. Next week, I wanna interview someone who got caught in the crosshairs of real life meeting, spiritual belief, collision forced a bunch of change in his life, in his family's life. And I'm telling you, uh, I don't think there's a person in this room who hasn't been or will be untouched by this whole topic. But we need to learn to wrestle. We need to get comfy with the, the unsettling questioning and looking at the way that we maybe interpret scripture, the way that we embrace tradition, sometimes in an unhealthy way. And how we talk about it, how we navigate that with family, on and on and on. If you look back, there's a lot of passages, a lot of stories, a lot of messages we've done here that's really been all about updates. Because we just said, if you are not updating, your spirituality will become so irrelevant like that. And you'll be left with that kind of decision. You're going, well, maybe it's just time to walk. I pray you don't do that. I pray if you're right now on the fence going, I don't even know if this even matters a speck in my life anymore. Come on in, you guys. I asked Alessandra, I'd love to close with a great song. She says, oh, I got a great one. 
She picked this Foo Fighters song, Times Like These, and it's good. Listen, I want you, as they play this morning, I want to close with this. I want you to think deeply about the seasons of your spiritual life where big updates happened. Because I'm betting you've, you've encountered a number of them. And perhaps there will be someone here right now where you are rankled. There's something that isn't making sense and it's causing some dissonance in your spiritual journey, in your life. Maybe it's causing you to restrict or withhold love from someone because some belief has said you don't have to treat them the same way as these other people because of, why don't you start there? That's always a great place for updates. Is there, is there a spot in your life where there's judgment or there's resistance to looking at someone in a loving way because some spiritual belief is getting in the way? I don't know. But as they play this morning, maybe you can just think about it all. And I hope next week you'll join us for that important interview. Get us all thinking about the wrestling.